so so the 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 reformation the counter reformation so i'll finish tonight with uh, a little bit more thought on on protests and student protests but uh, i'm trying my best to put this in a context which goes a little deeper than the superficial that gouges deeper and and of course it takes a little time because you you introduce one layer and then and then it's got to go systematically and then how things connect to me this is the imagination of it i mean this might be familiar over here this might be familiar over here you've heard about both of them but what happens when you connect them and talk about the relationships and that's what can has difficulty happening in other contexts because we're specializing as i see it you know we're trying to reintegrate the world i mean what a what a pretentious you know preposterous thing, but uh, now with Google, with the internet, with all of this information easily accessible, we don't need to have, like the German system, you know, each, each specialist, like when I, when I started uh, in, you know, the PhD world, getting a PhD, uh, aspiring after a PhD, your file cards were everything. Eh? So that was your capital, you make your file cards and you become an expert in this and you you keep all the information you you put it on file cards and then so you go down the hall in a university in a German university for instance and each office has the file cards on every subject so you've got your civilization there you've got your basic knowledge of civilization but what happens when you don't when you get beyond those file cards and those file cards are all now on the internet Maybe they're not all yet on the internet, and there's lots of stuff that you can't find on the internet that is part of human knowledge, but it's going so fast. It's just the digitalization of information. Have you seen Google Earth and on and on? Like each one of these things, they, they just, you know, you, you have the whole information of the maps of the world, actually photographs, and you, you navigate, you, you know, you want to go into... Lethbridge uh, Galt Gardens, you want to pull back to see what Alberta looks like, you want to zoom over and see what New York looks like, you want to zoom in and see what precinct number seven police station looks like, you want to whip over to the other side of the Atlantic and see what, I mean, we should be, you know, we should be doing that right now and we will, we will do that. Um, so um, this whole me, this whole specialization approach uh, which is the whole structure that we're, you know, we, we need to reconsider this. What, what, what does it mean to be educated? I remember Marshall McLuhan used to say, you know, uh, those uh, computers I have in the White House there, uh, you know, the people who read the information coming off those computers, they can't be specialists. They have to be encyclopedists. I'll tell you in the future, it's the people who are going to go places, they're going to be the people with the overview because you can't any longer do this specialization. You know, I'd listen to him then, but I'm thinking about it now and get to reflect on, on what I hear, heard, heard then. So, so uh, okay, protests. We can talk about student protests. I think that was a substantial discussion on student protests. I, I asked myself, how many times has that happened where you have that much expertise and, you know, John Oxley and, Professor Roncourt and, and uh, you know, Mark Spooner and Andy Davis and, you know, this was substantial. I mean, it's not, it's not always smooth, it's not always free-flowing, it's not always just quite, you know, as, as snippety-snappity. Uh, but we've opened up a topic and we're talking about protest and we've put it in, in context. We've talked about walls, we've talked about the, 
the Great Wall of China, we've talked about the uh, Berlin Wall, we've talked about a wall which I'm calling uh, the Wall of the War on Terror. Um, it doesn't, that, that's a name that uh, I'm coining. Um, from the Berlin Wall to the Quebec Wall, when uh, we were heading off to Quebec City, there was this, um, this recognition that, the, um, uh, that they were putting up this wall, that they were blocking out the whole downtown Quebec. Uh, which I'd never seen before. You know, you, I, you can understand the need for security, and you can understand security around, you know, a building or a complex of buildings. But taking a whole downtown core of a major Canadian city, not just any Canadian city, but Quebec City, and the idea that as an Albertan you, or an Ontarian, you can go to Quebec City and walk the streets of Quebec City, and you're at home there, right? Like, there would be some in Quebec who say, no, no, you're not at home here. This is our country. And if you come into our country, you better have a passport, and you better have our permission. Hey, you know, that, that's one view. But to have freedom of movement in Quebec City was, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of symbolism there, given that, you know, this is the site of the Plains of Abraham, the British conquest of, 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 of Canada and, and all of these issues. So um, uh, that, uh, that was a major uh, topic at the time. So too was the tear gas. So um, I walked down to the fence with the big march. Uh, somebody had brought a rope. We just all knew we'd pull on the rope. I mean, this, the fence was a symbol. Uh, I walked up to the front of the fence, uh, just by the fence, and people were pulling on the rope. And I said, it's not connected. I took it and connected it to the fence. We pulled it. We pulled it uh, away and walked in and uh, walked right up to the Darth Vader figures there and uh, looked at, at looked looked at their eyes and I could see they were frightened. I could see they weren't uh, about to do anything irrational or start beating people. And I walked down and 100 yards in, walked back, uh, uh, and uh, then suddenly tear gas hits, and I thought. It was the coming from the protesters uh, because you know that's the way it was being thrown, and, and it was actually. But the tear gas was being fired at the protesters, and they, and they would pick it up and throw it back the other way, which is a pretty brave thing to do. Uh, uh, anyway, so then the tear gas hits. Have any of you ha ever experienced tear gas? It is, and it, it's very uh, devastating. It uh, you know, you breathe it in, and, and then you start to run, and then you breathe harder, and then and and you just have a feeling you've got to get out of there, or you're going to die. Uh, so so everything goes haywire after the after the tear gas uh, comes in. Now Quebec City in 2001. This is this is your history. Like this was the big moment of student protest in Canada. This is before 9/11. There was at least 20,000 post-secondary students there. I mean, every one had had to make special arrangements with their universities so they didn't have to got away around the exam because it was right around the exam week. And uh, this was a particularly interesting and committed group of, of young Canadians, a group of young Canadians that I feel proud in every way to, to have you know, been with. Do you, you want to hear Ashley? 
Yeah, so the, it was uh, the free trade area of the Americas, the effort to extend NAFTA to uh, all of the Western Hemisphere. So the, the Chiapas Indians had made a stand in 1994, in, and uh, this became the subject of so much internet traffic. And then uh, if you read the, uh, the article, the piece I've written in the chronology on uh, Tecumseh and Toussaint Louverture, and uh, the Trail of Tears. I'm trying to connect all of these issues. Essentially, uh, you know, I'm making this point again and again in different ways. Once the Pope donates the Western Hemisphere to Spain, it sets a precedent. You can just trade land of indigenous peoples without any reference to those indigenous peoples. Uh, and you know, whether we talk about the Louisiana Purchase, or the Hudson's Bay Company transferring to the Dominion of Canada, uh, and the idea that we're doing this in 2001, we're doing it yet again, we're remaking the map of uh, the Western Hemisphere and, uh, and uh, as if the indigenous peoples are, what are, is it that they're subhuman or what, 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 is the, what is the rationale for making this categorization between who can make international law treaties and who can't? And this, you know, applies to Africa. Uh, if you get to read an, about Toussaint Louverture, the leader of the slave revolt in San Domingo, the richest colony in the world at that time, and uh, French Revolution, uh, liberté, égalité, fraternity, we're all equal, you know, down with uh, tyrannies of all sorts, monarchy, clergy. Black slaves in a French colony see this and they, they rise up against it. Napoleon crushes them, tries to crush them. They create the, the uh, Republic of Haiti. Um, so uh, this monopolization of international lawmaking, essentially by Europeans and then their progeny, the United States of America, uh, this is a great theme of history to me. How, how do you make this distinction? Why is it that Africans had no say in what's, how Africa is going to be divided. And maybe we could explain this in terms of the preoccupations of Victorian times and how Victorians looked at it. But if we do this in our own time, given what we know, uh, anyway, that was, that was my issue and, and I wrote about it and I was honored with a visit by the head of the National Security Investigation Section here in the University of Lethbridge and then we went to Quebec City and then we had the conference and then the next day we have the march, and so I'm trying to um, pick up the strain of, of what we were talking about last week, tie it into the issue of you know the deeper context of protest here, and uh, um, so um, anyway, this tear gas government, by its own reports, acknowledged that they they put 6,000 canisters of tear gas out. And I would question is if there was ever an episode in North American history where that much tear gas was used. So this is, this is the papers that I brought together for Amnesty International in uh, trying to identify um, what, you know, my experiences through, through, through this. And I, I found this article in the Montreal Gazette, 22 April 2001. And, uh, so it's talking about tear gas and it says in 1969, 80 countries voted to include tear gas agents among the chemical weapons banned under the Geneva Protocol. You read down here further and it says, in vitro tests have shown that GS, which is the active agent in tear gas, can cause 
cell mutation. Uh, and of course, what is cancer but cell mutation? Um, and then it says, uh, contaminated clothing must be discarded. And I do not remember any official statement coming from any government saying, you know, don't just take your clothes home and put them in the laundry. Uh, you better destroy those clothes. So this was not a small thing to, to shoot 6,000 canisters of tear gas at the flower of your youth, at the people who care about the future of the country and are thinking about the future of the free trade area of the Americas and the Western Hemisphere. This was a very you know, dedicated group to have spent your own money to go you know, down, down there to have gotten out of exams or whatnot. This was a, a very high moment of, of Canadian experience and a Canadian experience of your generation. We took that. We were through the fence, and uh, and I must say that you know I was I'm describing the first ten minutes when there was no tear gas and everything was pretty orderly, and I didn't see people going around sort of aimlessly or in a in a chaotic way you know breaking windows and like there was a point to be made with the fence, and there was sort of minimal force to demonstrate we're not going to tolerate this this uh, you know. People with these ideas can be on this side of the fence. People with these other ideas must be on the, you know, must be fenced out. Um, and there was at that time, if you were a big company, you could buy like a breakfast for the 34 heads of state. Uh, you know, for so much you could get a dinner. Uh, you know, the, the basic logic of the thing is the corporation smooth, 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 smooth is the verb, smooth, hang out, have drinks, you know, get to know each other, how's your family, want to play golf, you know, that's how you network and, and, and you get insider access and, and, and that's basically, you know, there, there's a case to be made, hey, business is business and, and this is how things, this is the reality of the world, this is how we feed ourselves, this is how we create economic activity and and uh, you know, let's not let's not ignore that. We are the corporations. I mean, we, they feed us, they they nourish us. Um, so um, uh, I'm going to take two minutes just to finish this off. I know the time is up, but I'd I'd, I'd uh, mention that uh, in 1997 there was kind of the the preeminent model for this uh, type of protest. Um, in uh, Vancouver at UBC in 1997. And uh, uh, this is the famous shot. This is uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper Sp Spray. Uh, Huey Stewart, I think, is his name. And he was captured by the CBC spraying pepper spray on students. Now, there was an order from the Prime Minister of Canada to uh, keep the students away from where the meetings were taking place. Essentially, the allegation was uh, that uh, Chrétien didn't want Suharto, who is a, a, a particularly sort of ruthless dictator, uh, when he came to power, a million people were killed in, in Indonesia. Uh, and um, so here's, here is Suharto. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, East Timor and, and all the uh, various violations in Indonesia are horrendous. So Canada, of course, Indonesia is a hugely important country. And, can, you know, they, they, their economics count for a lot. And so Canada needs to have economic relationships with it. Students were protesting this. And uh, anyway, Craig Jones was one of those students. He, did a, uh, he became an informant for Terry Molesky. And uh, Craig Jones, uh, in a word, he, he, uh, here's how he explained. Our government bargained away the constitutional rights of Canadian citizens for no other reason than to appease the embarrassment concerns of President Suharto of Indonesia. So Craig Jones and the journalist Terry Molesky worked together. Uh, this, this is from a story done by Terry Molesky. And Terry Molesky writes this uh, article. And if, if I had more time, I'd read into the record specifically who uh, Terry Molesky is. He's one of the authors of an article in this book. This book is a, a series of articles. He was, uh, he was uh, targeted by the RCMP and, he alleges, the prime minister's office, who worked in cahoots to discredit him. He was telling the story that essentially the laws of Canada are being violated by the police under the political direction of the prime minister's office. Because police aren't there to, be, to do political jobs for politicians. Police are there to enforce the laws. The laws are supposed to apply to everybody equally. There's a constitution that says you have freedom of expression, association. It doesn't say except where you know, there's a rich, uh, a dictator of a rich country who we don't want to embarrass. So the importance of the role of police in uh, these type of affairs where police can intervene, if they're intervening for a political motivation, that has devastating implications for the integrity of the rule of law in a country. And so in 1997, there was a lot of attention. The fact that Molesky writes this article to explain what happens, because he was essentially disgraced. He was taken off the story. And it turns out he was subjected to political intervention. The CBC, where does the CBC get its money from? How does the CBC retain its independence when it depends upon whoever is the governing party. Don't forget the Reform Party, the Alliance Party, their policy was to abolish the CBC. And now they are the, the government of Canada. If the media of Canada is run exclusively by commercial enterprise, and we don't have at least one station where there's a, a motivation which is theoretically not to the bottom line, I mean, it's an American model. Eh? They don't have real public broadcasting in the United States. They have PBS, a, a few good shows, but it's nothing like CBC. So, uh, um, so I hope then this gives you a better feel about how to use the 11-page uh, course outline, which I'm, you know, I've put more work into than I've ever put into any outline. The chronology is not in any way comprehensive. It's not done. Uh, it's it's something that I'm starting, uh, and uh, and yet uh, you can you know there's a story. You want the story globalization since 1492. What happened when? You've you've got. Uh, I hope I hope it gives you some more sense of an anchor. And I'm sorry to go over a, a little bit, of, uh, but uh, thanks for your patience. And hopefully we uh, go back out into 
the world with uh, contacts to, to other folks. So thank you very much and see you.